Okay, welcome to the Evolution Exchange NHS podcast, everyone. Thanks so much for joining me today to discuss the uh, Manchester Integrated Care. Before we delve deeper into the topic, I'm going to work the way around the room with some introductions. So I'm going to start us off. My name's Rose. I work within the NHS team here at Evolution. I'm working specifically with several ICSs, AHSNs and three government bodies across the UK. My goal is to help NHS organisations realise their true potential towards better patient care. Um, and this is done through digital technology and innovation. So that's me. Uh, Matt, would you like to introduce yourself first, please? Yeah, sure. Hello, uh, I'm Matt Hennessy. I'm the Chief Intelligence and Analytics Officer for uh, Greater Manchester in, uh, Integrated Care. Um, and um, in, in my role, I, I try to in, indulge my passion, which is um, making data uh, usable. Uh, so that um, so that it drives decision making and it's not just painting pretty pictures in charts and things like that, that something actually gets done as a result of, of the, the work that's gone into transforming the data into intelligence. Brilliant. Uh, and Paul, would you mind going next? Yeah, thank you. So, um, hi Rose, I'm Paul Lynch, uh, Deputy Director of Strategy, also for Greater Manchester Integrated Care. I've uh, been in the role about five years now. Um, I think in a similar way to, to Matt, what's kind of brought me to this role and what I'm passionate about is very much kind of um, working with partners in Greater Manchester on um, tackling inequalities and really trying to close that gap that's um, existed historically between the north of the country and um, London and the southeast, for example, and think, um, you know, we've gone up you've know, done a lot of work to do that over the last few years but there's but there's more to come fantastic thank you for that uh, and matthew c please can you introduce yourself thanks rose so my name is matthew conroy and i'm a business intelligence manager within the manchester locality of nhs greater manchester integrated care so i've been in the role for nearly six years now and i predominantly um, work with the 83 gp practices across the manchester locality and Again, as both Matt and Paul have said, I'm really passionate about using the data that we've got and working with providers, in this case, our practices, and trying to see how we can help them improve um, patient care and reduce health inequalities. Spot on. Thank you. And finally, Warren. Hi, Rose. Uh, I'm Warren Heppelet. I'm Chief Officer for Strategy and Innovation with NHS Greater Manchester. Uh, I've been a public servant now across local government and the NHS for nearly 30 years um, and uh, my passion and mission I guess um, is to improve the lives of 2.8 million residents, improve their health uh, and do that through the transformation of, um, of public services. Brilliant, thank you so much for, for that everyone and thanks for joining me again. Um, now that we're all introduced, uh, I'm going to move through your questions about your ICS. So, as usual, I'll work away around the panel, uh, asking you to pose the questions and the reasons behind it. So, we're going to start with Matthew C's question. Um, how can we effectively meet the requirements of both the ICB and the locality, acknowledging that both are at a different scale? Matthew, what are your thoughts behind this question? I'll be honest then that this is partly quite a, a selfish question for me and that I'm coming at the, the ICB from a locality perspective and that there's a team of about 18 analysts that support uh, the Manchester system. And for us, it's going to be um, interesting to see how as we kind of integrate and become one system, how we adequately meet the needs of what the ICS needs to achieve at a kind of a system level, but also what we do in a locality and what's very Manchester specific 
And in some cases, there's going to be similarities and in other cases, it's different. And how do we ensure that we kind of meet the, the needs of the wider organisation, but don't lose what is specific to localities and what they're trying to achieve as well? Perfect. Um, Paul, what are your thoughts on this one? So I thought it was a, a great question and a really, really timely one at the moment, given that we're, you know, kind of a, a month into um, working as as an ICS on, on a formal basis. Um, I think the question probably you can trace this kind of um, sort of dynamic and this sort of debate over over the last few years in Greater Manchester, really, where we've, um, you know, both from a health and social care perspective and in terms of wider public services, public services in Greater Manchester, try to get that kind of um, the balance right between what we do at um, locality level in our um, 10 places in GM um, and then what we do at, at Greater Manchester level. So I think kind of the first thing for me is that um, I guess it's that really important um, work that we can do around this is you know this is a kind of collective endeavour of all of us in Greater Manchester so it's it's the 10 localities plus the the team that we have working at Greater Manchester level plus our providers and you know plus community and voluntary sector etc so it's kind of that single um kind of endeavor that we've um that we're working on in in gm um i think as matthew rightly says each um locality has you know has its own history um it's got its own unique set of circumstances it's you know we've got different populations in different parts of greater manchester so i think that absolutely has to be um you know that part of the way we work which is about kind of tailoring what we do to that local population and, and recognizing it and then i think it should very much be about um how we can all support that change happening at neighborhood and locality level and then think equally there has to be a set of conversations with everyone in the system about you know where does it make sense for us to do things collectively um at a gm level so where does that add value you know where where we've got maybe um relatively few specialist resources does it make sense to do that um at your greater manchester level as well so i think a really interesting question and one that's you know we're, we're kind of will be kind of a live um issue as as we work through the the ics Great response. Um, Warren, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I think it's I think it's a great question and it will be a question that will be immediately relevant to every one of the 42 ICSs because I think it's it's right in the black box of how we can make uh, this set of changes really work for our, our populations. And I think the kind of the key to the answer is in making sure that you're doing the right activity at the right level, uh, because I think it goes horribly wrong when you're when you're not doing, uh, and when you're you're trying to wire the detail of delivery from um, you know 25 or 30 miles away, um, or or even or even worse, um, and not really understanding what it takes to um, uh, to deliver the most effective service, um, connect appropriately with the population. So I think there is something about us doing straightforward things and agreeing the essentials at the Greater Manchester level. So it's really important that we have a successful conversation about common purpose across Greater Manchester uh, and an agreed direction of travel that's connected through a notion of shared outcomes and shared commitments. Uh, sometimes I think facing where we need to address disparities and unwarranted variation in the system and set ourselves 
some objectives around shared standards. Uh, but I think we've got to be really careful then to recognise what does the what does the detail of delivery look like? What does it take to um, to understand and mobilise the role of communities um, in uh, improving the places where they live, improving their own health, supporting their neighbours? Um, what does it take uh, to um, to enact successful delivery for joint teams to work together at the neighbourhood level? Um, what does it take? What does it take in terms of critical relationships in those joint teams and forensic local knowledge uh, about what will work and what won't work in that place? So I think there's a you know there are there's a dead straightforward, sensible and logical conversation that means that we're acting with uh, with common purpose, doing things at the Greater Manchester level that allow um local teams uh and and local communities to be able to work together in um in in, in the ways that they they need to um but we do it in a way that um connects us all in terms of uh ambitious shared outcomes uh and um that we face that kind of key opportunity here of um addressing some of that variation in access experience and outcomes that actually exists even in a place as connected as Greater Manchester. Perfect um, and Matt anything to add? I think, I think a lot of it's been covered actually I mean it's this idea that we're actually we're trying to do the same thing we're, we're trying to help citizens of Greater Manchester live their best lives and um, it it's about ensuring that we develop a set of principles about the point at which our support to that has greater value by doing it at one spatial level rather than another. But as long as we stay true to the fact that the purpose is to help people live their best lives, then then actually we can get behind those principles quite quite easily. Great. Um, and Matthew, do you think that's that's answered your question or um, have you got anything else to add? No, I, I think it does. I think for me, if I tried to answer my own question, it's, it's a lot of the points that Matt, Paul and Warren have covered. I think, I think the only thing I'd add is that in particular that there's, there's a lot of kind of not fierce loyalty within localities about what they've done. And I think it's about acknowledging that sometimes there are better ways of doing things and it's about understanding almost from a locality up perspective looking at what's been done and taking a best of breed approach and saying there's no point trying to reinvent the wheel if there's good ideas to be that have already been undertaken let's try and celebrate that and share the knowledge and work collectively and almost try and dispel the the misnomer that we're still telling 10 separate organizations we're all part of the gm system as matt said we've all got a collective purpose let's share knowledge ideas and experience and try and develop something that works for everybody but acknowledging that there might still be those local variations within that but not to try and reinvent the wheel and try and do things and be sensible with how we do them lovely anyone got any final thoughts on that question before we move on I'm just thinking you didn't need to answer that question Matthew you had your answer you knew the answer Warren did you want to come in I think that notion of um, kind of pooling our expertise and experience and and, and sharing the the, the best of what's happened in, in in and across the whole of Greater Manchester is um, is is really powerful. I think I think we'd, we'd have a real sense that um, maybe kind of perfect examples exist in different parts of Greater Manchester um, on um, on how to really push ourselves in in, in achieving the, the the highest levels of ambitions. And our, and our kind of first port of call should be in um, in identifying and and sharing some of those examples locally. I think. Um, I wouldn't limit ourselves to that because, um, you know, I always like being staggered by something that's happened somewhere else in the world. Um, and, uh, you know, there, there there is something about, um, the, you know, the risk of us being too comfortable in, um, in in terms of approaches that we know and approaches that we that, that, that we trust. 
Uh, but I definitely think um, Matthew's right that, that that that's at least part of where we start. Grand, grand. Um, and Paul, you're next. OK, so we'll go through your question. Uh, how can we strike the right balance between delivering against the challenges we face now whilst holding to our ambition for the future? Yeah, so um, a bit of the reasoning behind that really, and it, it's so it feels like um, it's one of the you know the really um, key things that's um, prompting our thinking at the moment, particularly as um, over the next few months we need to um, develop the first uh, medium to long term strategy for um, the integrated care partnership in Greater Manchester. So um, that will be one of the um, big pieces of work on on the agenda for us um, through the autumn and, and into the winter. Um, and it was really kind of um, based on a reflection that um, you know clearly um, in both uh, the NHS and social care at the moment and you know in wider you know, public services as well uh, you know we've got lots of challenges we've got challenges around um, our operational delivery in terms of the NHS constitution etc we've got huge challenges in terms of workforce with um, with vacancy levels um, across the system um, finances, as as always, are, are constrained and, and difficult. So um, there's all of those challenges, and adding to that is the the challenge of recovering from the pandemic as well, um, and the light that that's shone on um, the level of inequalities in in Greater Manchester, um, and that's set against, as as we said at the start of the call, really our our kind of huge ambition for the population to improve health outcomes um, and as Matt said to really uh, capitalize and draw on those factors that support people to, to live a good life um, in Greater Manchester um, and I was really struck by um, an example that um, Matthew Taylor from NHS Confederation had given where he talked about one way of um, Kind of addressing this challenge was to kind of um, think of, of this as kind of a split screen approach. So um, on kind of one screen, you've got kind of you know what are the the urgent challenges that that the system is is, is facing, and then on the other screen, other screen, you've got kind of you know really those those thoughts around kind of the the future vision, and what you ultimately want to try to do is to. Um, develop your system in such a way that the the way in which you tackle short term challenges, you know, for example, through partnership working across the system, through um, health and social care, going going further on in health and social care integration, drawing on the resources of the wider public sector. How can in dealing with those shorter term challenges, can you move yourself along the way in meeting your your long term ambition as well? So really getting that that blend between the two and trying to hold to your to long to your long term vision uh, whilst delivering in in kind of um, against the immediate challenges. Um, so it's a really complex thing to do, I think, and I think it's you know it's it's easy to kind of when facing challenges of, of this scale to kind of um, you know retreat into individual organizations or to individual silos. I think we've got to you know really kind of break free from that and I think we have done that in the last few years but about it's I think it's about kind of holding on uh, particularly 
um, in the very challenging circumstances that, that we're facing at the moment. So that was kind of some of the, the thinking that, that lay behind the question. It'd be really interesting to get um, the views of Matthew, Matt and, and Warren on that as well. Uh, we'll come to Matt next then. What are your thoughts? Uh, it, 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 it's a question that's, that just feels of, of the time at the moment, doesn't it really? We've got to deal with all these challenges and, and yet we we know that they're just sticking plasters. Um, the, the the evidence is incontrovertible that um, that prevention is better than cure. It's more cost effective. It, it's got better outcomes. Um, we don't want people to get sick in the first place. Um, we want them to get better quickly, but we don't want them to get sick in the first place. Um, so I think the the way we strike the right balance, and perhaps I would say this being the, the data and intelligence guy, is to use. To use intelligence to create the right perspective. Uh, uh, Warren and I have certainly been in meetings today where we've talked about um, taking enough of a step back to see that things we're doing are working rather than being so close to the detail you think, oh, it's, it's not got better since yesterday. Whereas if you take a step back and you start looking over the last five years, 10 years, you get a bit of perspective that says actually we're moving in the right direction. Um, and I think that data and intelligence and, and digital to some extent is a, is a really good uh, way of doing that. Uh, if we do it right, what we can do is we can use intelligence to identify the opportunities to change the way we do things rather than the things we do necessarily. We have to deal with the uh, with the backlog. We have to deal with um, with uh, you know the, the staffing pressures that are there. But can we deal with them in a way that means we're not going to have to deal with them again next year or the year after? Is there a way of building capability rather than just solving the immediate problem? Perfect. And it's uh, probably a good time to come to Matthew uh, on this one as well. Yeah, I think I'd, I'd agree with everything and what Matt said. I think when I thought about this, oh, Paul's, when I thought about Paul's excellent question, I kind of approached it from a bit more of a, a ground up perspective, thinking about how can we use the, the skills and the workforce within the data analytics space to achieve this. And I think that what we described previously about a kind of an ICS first approach kind of frees up some of the analytical capability to, to have more resource to tackle the problem. But I think also within the Greater Manchester system, it's a really exciting time in terms of the tools that we've got to look at the challenges from a different perspective. So we're looking at building our, our new data warehouse on Snowflake, which is a, a next level a data warehousing platform that allows us to analyze data much quicker. We also took machine learning tools such as Data Robot that allow us to analyze the data and spot themes and trends that we might not previously. So I think what I'm trying to say is that whilst the challenges are there, agreeing with what Paul said about how can we look at tackling these challenges to make sure that we meet the future ambition. I think we're in a really uh, excellent space now where we've got kind of the tools and the analytical capability to look at those problems through a different lens and maybe think about different ways to approach them that we might not previously. So I think that that's how we can potentially look at this. But I do agree with what Paul said. I think for me, this is how do we try and chip away at the challenges to the point where we slowly start to meet our future ambition as well. Acknowledging what Matt said as well around that when we look at um, common primary care markers, for example, we can see that the pandemic really impacted them. And if you look in isolation, it looks like we've been doing a disservice. But when you take a longer term view and say, look, we know that the pandemic impacted in lots of ways. If we take that in isolation, we're still on the right trajectory. And it's it's kind of holding nerve a bit and keeping the faith that if we carry on doing and thinking about the problems in new and innovative ways, then hopefully we'll we'll meet those challenges in the future. Great. And I'll come to you now, Warren. OK, so I, I think it uh, feels to me uh, significantly like a question about leadership. So I think uh, that there is something about the fact that we can't um, we can't take um, our 
attention fully away from the fact that um, you know we've got residents that have um, are experiencing uh, an extended um, period or wait for um, for care over over long times where you know there are there is a, an, an enormous number you know around half a million people residents in Greater Manchester that are part of that care backlog that that dominates the um, that dominates the news we've got immense pressures um on flowing our urgent care system um that that um relates and connects not just um you know weights in um in in the backs of ambulances or weights in a and e um but um delayed organization of um, of of care at home or in um or in other social care settings so those those demands are kind of here and now and we've got some here and now responsibilities um to do what we can uh, to support frontline teams uh, and residents accessing and experiencing care um, on the, you know, on, on a kind of an hourly and daily basis. Um, but I think there is a responsibility of leadership to say we can't exist entirely in uh, that setting and in those conditions. Um, and I think both what Matthew and Matt have described about the opportunity of taking a step back, generating um, fresh insight and, um, and, and using a more, you know, intelligence led perspective on um, how people are accessing care and how those patterns are changing um, and, and what good looks like and how it can be how it can be optimized at one level but also thinking about actually what's driving those um, those patterns of demand because that that pressure in the system uh, it will relate to, um, uh, to to our ability to be able to change the conditions of people's lives that actually improve their health um, so we know that um, you know one of the most significant things that we can do, for long-term health um, is um, address the early years experience and um, and uh, and improve school readiness. Uh, that's the one thing that the evidence says will put people on a course of long-term uh, beneficial health. Um, but it means activity in the first thousand days of a child's life, and it means that some of the benefits won't be realised for 22, 23 years until that cohort of children enters the um, enters the labour market. Um, and actually, it's an abrogation of leadership for us to turn our faces away from that. And similarly, for those of us that are uh, in the health system and thinking about easing the pressures today and easing pressures into the into the long term, um, we, we've got to start engaging with uh, those partners across the rest of the system that can actually affect the full determinants of somebody's health um, and um, and start to understand where some of those pressures on demands in health and formal health and care services can be um, addressed and, uh, and and mitigated by improving the conditions in people's homes, by improving the conditions of people's employment, uh, by supporting people to be more physically active, by doing what we can to address uh, loneliness and social isolation. These are all things that are, are creating those patterns of um, of, of, of demand. And um, you know, we've got a kind of leadership responsibility to think about um, not just meeting the demand that presents itself, uh, but changing patterns of need across a population as well. That's great, Warren. Thank you for that. And Paul, hopefully that answers the uh, the question. Um, but if you've got anything to add or anyone else, jump in. Yeah, I, was, I, I think some fabulous responses there. I was I was really struck by. A couple of things. So I think, um, you know, Matt's description of just needing to take that step back to make sure things things are working, um, I think is was really, you know, a powerful um, observation on 
you know, just taking that time to do that, I think, um, can add a lot to um, our ability um, to think about, um, you know, what's really underlying those patterns of demand, rather than looking at kind of the issue directly in front of us. So I think I think that was really powerful. I think Matthew's description of the tools that we've got in the system as well to be looking at those kind of future projections and getting really into the into depth on those patterns of demand was really, really helpful. And then Warren's point about, you know, the key line in leadership, I think is is absolutely right too. And kind of that responsibility of leaders to keep that long term goal in mind as well. And, um, you know, think about, you know, what's at the root cause of some of these issues because we can you know respond to the immediate problem, but we're just going to end up in a cycle if we don't look at what's underlying that and really get to tackling those those root causes. Perfect. Um, we'll move on to the next question now. Um, so this one's Matt's. Um, if you don't mind talking us through, given health inequalities and poorer health outcomes, which have been a feature of GM and the North more generally for decades, what can or will the GM ICS do differently from what's been done before? Uh, yeah, I, when when I was thinking of a question, uh, I, I'm always I like litmus test questions, which is sort of where, where you just ask the provocative thing and say, well, hang on. When I when I started work, um, one of the big thing was partnership working. Well, we're still talking about partnership working. So, some some twenty five years later, and and so the question I'm posing really is that um, we've had poor health for decades, uh, and and it's not like we haven't been trying to tackle it. So, what is it we're actually going to do differently? Because we, if you do the same stuff, you you'll get the same results. Um, so. Help me, guys. <laughs> what, what, what are we going to do differently? <laughs> Let's go to uh, to Warren's thoughts on this. Yeah, I think the uh, I think the first thing is because I'm, I'm surprised Matt's asked this question with because I think he should have started with taking a step back, and uh, because I think it is something that I, I think there's a there's there's a worrying tendency if we if we take the question at face value to say. Right. Well, we've still got evident health inequalities in um, in Greater Manchester. So let's stop everything that we we're doing, um, and then let's just come up with a new list of things to try. Um, and and I'm not sure that 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 would be the best recipe. So I think there is something about um, well, actually, let's take a step back and think about the things that we've been doing that may have been making a difference. So some of the things that have been happening look like they're having an effect. Um, so if we were if we were looking back over the last few years in um, in Greater Manchester and thinking actually well it does look like um, we've made a difference in uh, closing the gap with England on um, school readiness for children that are eligible for free school meals it does look like uh, we've made a difference in closing the gap to, on smoking prevalence um, between um, Greater Manchester and the um, and the rest of England it does look like we were starting to make a difference on um, reducing levels of physical inactivity um, in our most deprived communities uh, compared to the um, compared to the rest of England. Uh, so there are some things there we think well, actually they let, let's recognize they are probably part of the answer. So the um, you know the, the, the solution might be in let's think about what how we organized ourselves to start making those differences and let's make them more widespread and more systematic and it might wind back a bit to um, you know Matthew's response about um, let, let's let's be alert first to the things that are working um, and make sure that we've challenged ourselves on on spread and scale. Um, I think equivalently, though, there is a there's a there's a there's a similar step back that says actually um, what has been stuck in the um, in the system over over a long period 
um, and, and what really what 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 haven't we been able to move um, and, and, and what stayed the same and why do we think that that's um, that that stayed the same so it, it, in spite of those kind of improvements we're still seeing um, rising patterns of um, uh, emergency admissions in um, in hospitals we've not we've not stemmed we've not stemmed that flow we've still got an urgent an, an emergency care system that runs hot pretty much all of the time all of the day all of the night and um, and all of the year uh, so that 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 can't be something where we, we we've been um we've, we've been effective in um, in managing those patterns of demand so we have to think about well, why is that why, why have we not been effective in that what are the things that we could try in um, in that space is there, um, you know, part of the response that that lies in a, you know, an enhanced model of uh, mutual aid and collaboration across the system? Is it new methodologies for um, spreading what works um, and and not having islands of success in a in a, in a sea of failure across um, across Greater Manchester? Um, so I, I do think there is a bit about, um, you know, what, what do we what do we stop? What do we start? Uh, what do we go further on, um, and and um, and and having a, a really a kind of careful step back uh, about what what looks like it's making a difference now, and maybe use the next period um, just to try and orientate ourselves towards the things that seem to be working uh, and coming up with different answers for the things that aren't. That's great. Thank you for that, um, Matthew. What what are your thoughts on this? I, I think for me that a really good example of what we could potentially do differently is the work that we've done with the COVID vaccination program, and I know that. Uh, in Manchester in particular, that it feels like there's been a real step change, both in how we've started to understand health inequalities, but also how we've engaged with specific groups. So we embarked on a really ambitious piece of work where we started to look at vaccination uptake by different demographics and protected characteristic groups that identified that certain populations weren't coming forward for vaccination. And then we, we engaged with those groups to try and understand the reasons behind that. I think ultimately we can't really address health inequalities without understanding them and trying to get to the nuance of them. I think that we're in a really powerful position now where we've got the data to try and understand those inequalities, but also the compounding inequalities as well. So I think that with the vaccination programme, we engage with specific groups and we can see that as a direct result of the engagement and discussion about why aren't you coming forward for the vaccination? Was it because you're concerned about fertility or was it because... Yeah, some of the fake news you were reading or different factors and we try to address that and work with those communities and we can see a direct impact of what we're doing so then it's it's how can we understand what those inequalities are and then try and develop specific interventions to try and target those more specifically and then evidence that they've actually made a difference but I think that for me what I've been struck by through some of the work we've been doing recently is that there's always inequalities somewhere along the system it's about trying to understand those little wins that we can make in addressing the inequalities, learning from those and seeing how those ideas can scale up as well. I think it's also worth acknowledging that health is only part of what drives inequalities and we can identify certain uh, uh, factors that we could attribute to as being inequality, but there's certain things that we can't very easily quantify. So we know that air pollution has massive impacts on um, young children's respiratory, which leads to higher admissions. And it's how do we try to pull in the, the wider data and not just think about health when we address inequalities and think about the wider system and the impacts of lots of different um, factors on, on children. But I, I completely agree with what Warren said as well. I think a lot of this is about trying to work as a system and trying to understand how we can address inequalities, which I know is what we've done previously. But I think that with the evidence that we've got to try and specifically target those, I think we're in a really strong position. I think part of this is also acknowledging that um, and trying to engage patients with this as well. And I know that there's been some really difficult conversations that have been had about why does the health service need to understand my protected characteristics? 
that's for me to disclose. What? Why should I feel that's something I need to tell you? And it's about having that open conversation, both with healthcare providers, but also patients as well, in that we're trying to collect this information so we can understand and make sure that we're delivering a healthcare service that meets everybody's needs and specifically your needs as well. And it requires a bit of trust from patients that we're going to handle that data in a sensitive way and use it for its intended purpose. And I think monkeypox is a really good example in the media at the moment around how that when it's treated very insensitively, it can almost have an inverse effect in that we're trying to understand patients who need to come forward for vaccination, but it's a very delicate way we could actually increase inequality rather than decrease it. Thank you, Matthew. Um, Paul, I'll come to you now. Yeah, thank you. So I think some fascinating responses. Uh, the first thing I was going to say was about sort of context, really. So um, I think, you know, this doesn't kind of um, excuse or give a reason for a lack of action. But, you know, the reality is that kind of UK is the most unequal country pretty much in Western Europe. So that that's kind of the context that that we're starting in. I think the answer to that from our point of view is twofold. So there's, you know, we need to maximise what we can do in Greater Manchester and use all of our resources to do that. And I think the second thing is how do we then influence um, and continue to make the case for kind of you know more powers to be devolved to Greater Manchester so that you know, we've got you know, more control over over our own destiny. Um, and then I think as 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 Warren rightly said, we've done a lot and we've made a lot of progress in the last few years. And you can see that in the data around you know reduction of smoking, for example. Um, I think there is more that we can do. So um you know, looking at the opportunities of the ICS, we've now got much more formalized ways of providers working together, for example. So you know, how do those hospitals as pretty much the, you know, the largest employers in, in GM, how do they come together, for instance, to, um, you know, be much more active in the contribution they make to their own local communities, supporting their own staff, for example, through the, the cost of living crisis that, you know, we're going to face over the next few months. You know, how do we really get into, um, you know, looking at making the, the leadership in the ICS and in organisations in GM more reflective of the populations that we serve. So I think there is there is more that, that, that we can do. And I think it's kind of just kind of tilting our resources towards well-being and tackling inequalities and doing more of the stuff that works and, you know, keeping evaluating and um, as you know, Matt and Matthew have said using the data to do that, but also kind of capitalising on the opportunities we've got um, through the ICS to do more from, for example, from a, a workforce perspective. That's lovely. Um, before we move on, uh, um, is anyone wanting to add anything? No, perfect. Let's move on to Warren's question. Um, the difference between improving health services vis improving health and reducing health inequalities and what determines good health. So. Warren, would you mind just kicking this yeah, one off? So this is a this is quite a long-standing obsession of mine because I think there are people at very senior levels in the health service uh, that are, are pretty um, disconnected from a mission around improving health versus a mission around improving health services. 
which feels, I think, unusual for people working in um, in healthcare because improving health is going to be key to the long term sustainability of um, of the provision of um, of health services, and it's going to avoid being overwhelmed by um, overwhelmed by demand. Uh, and it's it's one of those kind of key distinctions which has driven the work in Greater Manchester for um, for more than a decade, I think. Um, and, uh, and and it's partly a very simple recognition that if you were and uh, it's a very simple recognition that if your if your mission was to improve health, then you're going to engage meaningfully with the things that determine people's health and all of the evidences that there's somewhere only between 15 and um, and 25 percent of the determinants of somebody's health is uh, is related directly to the provision of um, health services to them. Uh, and the rest will be the wider conditions of um, of, of their life. Uh, so it's part of a prompt um, around integrating and transforming public services, if um, if it's to be uh, a genuine a, a genuine mission. And it was definitely part of the, um, the sort of inspiration when we wrote Taking Charge, which was our strategy to guide the work on the back of health and social care devolution in um, in 2015. We, we we asked a kind of a, a single big audacious audacious question really, which was um, who contributes to improving the health of the population and how can we connect them? And, and what we what we got in return was uh, all kinds of interesting characters from across the social enterprise, voluntary community sector, um, from uh, you know community pharmacists to housing providers to Greater Manchester Police. Um, to uh, head teachers and, uh, and and people in the education sector, all, all feeling they had a part to play on a shared mission of improving the health of the population. And then it, it kind of it got solidified really when um, uh, Andy Burnham was elected as, as mayor and had the same direct reflection that as Secretary of State for Health, um, he could do quite a lot to um, improve health services, but he felt like he didn't have much leverage over improving the health of a population. Whereas as mayor of Greater Manchester, he felt like he could do a lot to improve the health of the population, and it feels like it's one of the it's the one of the provocative um, missions for integrated care systems. The objectives that have been set for integrated care systems do improve do, do include improving health and reducing health inequalities. So the challenge is how do those integrated care systems act beyond the boundaries of hospitals and primary care and social care uh, into those uh, communities and partners that uh, will materially affect the health of the population over the um, over the long term. So that level of partnership working and integration across public service becomes and, and working with communities in completely different ways uh, becomes a make or break competence for ICSs. Uh, but it's one of those things where you know national guidance is not likely to be tremendously helpful uh, when compared with um, with local experience. So and, and it's one of those things that feels like a, um, a a fairly sort of central challenge for us. I think and that's the reason I wanted to ask the question. Very good points, um, Matt. What what's your thoughts on this? Uh, I'm, well, I'm very much uh, in in agreement with with Warren about this because it um, it's something I've been working on. Uh, from an analysis and intelligence point of view for, for many years, uh, this idea of good health um, shouldn't be determined by the presence or absence of illness or of a diagnosis. Um, we've just had the Commonwealth Games, uh, the, 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 the Power Games uh, is a shining example of how people who have conditions, long-term conditions, um, can have good health. Uh, they uh, the 
got much better health than me and they're achieving they're faster stronger um uh, and, and a whole whole probably a whole great deal happier than than i am in some ways so um and i'd you know i might not share those same conditions so i think the trying to move away from illness as being the definition of of health is, is quite important um it, it's a it's quite antiquated medical model i suppose uh, and we need to respect that um people people can have a diagnosis they can have a condition they're not going to return they're not going to be cured necessarily so what we need to do is support them to um to to find a new normal and 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 make that new normal great in terms of of living their lives and the way we will do that isn't necessarily through health services it's through everything else um some of the analysis we did we undertook a, a while ago was suggesting that when we look at health inequalities it's not that people in the north or in greater manchester particularly are getting sicker more often than uh, people in in uh, the south or in affluent areas it's that they're they're systematically worse at getting better and the things that get you better aren't necessarily treatment they're maintaining mm. good employment making sure mm. that you don't lose your house and you've got a secure home uh, keeping your friends it's jobs homes friends isn't it making sure you've got those social connections those are the things that accelerate your recovery from illness so as much as we are trying to focus on preventing people from getting ill in the same in the first place which again is those three those three things jobs homes friends if you if you're in dodgy housing it's, uh, that's damp and moldy you, you're going to get sick quicker um, so so prevention and recovery are built around things that aren't necessarily as as warren says it, the vast majority of the influence on the health outcome isn't about the health service um and i think so a lot of it stems from this definition and trying to um educate people that the that good health is is, a, is about just that it's about a rounded uh, um lifestyle and, and life provision it's not about the presence or diagnosis of a specific illness that's great thank you for that um paul it seems fitting to come to you and um, what's your thoughts yeah thanks so really really interesting um comments so um and i think um i, I know warren would would kind of share a similar view on this i think you can trace a lot of this back to the, the creation of the nhs after the Second World War, and um, you know, it's a fabulous creation, and you know, um, one of the, um, I guess, the the parts of kind of um, identity that everyone would would kind of recognise and support in uh, across the country. Um, but kind of the world is 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 really different now from the 1940s, and I think we understand so much more about as as matt was describing what are those factors that support people um to be well connected and to be in in good health and obviously we know a lot more in terms of um data and um technology that um than we did in the in the 1940s as well so um i think it's it's how does then you know the question then for the health sector is um you know we've obviously got an obligation in terms of the services provided through the NHS to make sure that they're 
safe, effective, efficient, provide a you know good um, quality of experience for people, but also then how do we reach out to um, all of those other factors um, that can influence someone's um, health and well-being, and make that really determined sort of long-term effort to work in in partnership and to put kind of I guess to shift that balance really about you know and the culture around people kind of just making that that link to the that health means the NHS whereas of course it it, it means much much more than that um, and it you know it is those factors that can support people to live to live their best life really so um, I think a you know a big cultural change I think it's happening in in many places particularly happening in Greater Manchester, and I think some of the changes and the responsibilities that have been given to the ICSs. So, for example, around the responsibility of supporting broader social and economic development, are beginning to to recognise that. Uh, and Matthew, what would you like to add? Yeah, I think it, it's a really interesting question, Warren. I think that the first thing that I, I wrote down when I thought about this question is that good health is determined by patient and what they perceive as their health. I think when we say health, we're almost meaning health and well-being, and that we know that the the services that we provide can tackle the the kind of the core health element, but there's so much more that influences health that we as directly health services can't tackle. And as Warren said, it's how we link in with the voluntary sector and those support and wraparound services and be there as a kind of a guide to help patients help themselves. I think that the mental health crisis that we've seen over the course of the pandemic is, is a really good example in that mental health services aren't as advanced as what physical health services are. And we know that mental health uh, impact so much on how patients feel that they are in terms of their, their well-being and that if we can support patients to help themselves through other routes then that in turn match they help their physical health as well and reduce those inequalities and I think it's all kind of tied up in that it's how do we support patients to help themselves and their wider factors and as Matt said it might be that if we can support them and direct them to housing services we might be able to help them with better accommodation or as Paul mentioned earlier with the cost of living crisis if we can signpost the patients to help with um, financial difficulties to support them to eat better than that it all kind of ties together but it's it's trying to break away from that core thing of health means how do we help somebody's physical condition it's more about their mental health it's their wider well-being and how do we tie that together and acknowledge that the certain things that health as a system and that the ICS can support that we typically done really well but how do we engage with those wider things that we know actually impact on people's health sometimes more than their physical condition in the first place that's brilliant um would anyone like to add to that no, I, I would i would absolutely agree on the, the point about mental health um i think you know it's been a i think a long struggle to get to you know parity between mental and physical health and you know seeing the whole person in terms of their kind of mental physical social well-being so um you know it's very much what we're trying to do through our neighborhood models or public service models in, in gm but i think i think matthew's right i think sometimes the association is just drawn purely to physical health and i think we need to to move beyond that lovely and warren what are your thoughts on that just sort of brilliant and inspiring answers i i, I kind of really enjoyed that <laughs> and it, it kind of uh, a couple of things it reminded me of but what one was the um it's that challenge that i think collectively we've put in terms of the you know the the, the mission and purpose of the um, of the nhs and if you think of that michael marmot line that says you know is the is the job to patch people up and send them back to the conditions that made them ill in the first place and you're just thinking that doesn't that doesn't feel like it ought to be the mission and I don't think that's what would have been in 
um, you know, Nye Bevan's mind. I think, you know, he was the he was the Minister for Housing and Health for a reason. And I think part of that was, um, you know, thinking about the conditions that that, that keep people well, um, that kind of support recovery as much as anything in, in the way that uh, Matthew and, um, and, and Matt have described. And uh, if you don't indulge me for a second, it really reminds me of the most uncomfortable uh, afternoon in my professional life. When uh, I was in a, I was on this NHS top leaders program ten years ago, and uh, and part of this cohort, and and we were kind of challenged deeply to think about what does the NHS mean to us, uh, and I was in this room of people, and there was kind of story after story about, um, you know, the the, the kind of profound experience of, um, of providing direct care to um, an independent, a, an individual patient. And um, and the you know the mission of the NHS to provide that 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 care consistently for the whole population. We're going around the room, and, and I thought, oh my god, my my answer is completely different. Um, so I said, well, what, what the NHS means to me is it's a social promise that 70, 80 million people make to each other to care for each other from the cradle to the grave. Uh, we happen to provide that through a socially funded model of um, of health and support. Um, and if you start to think of that as the as, as the as the, the the founding purpose of the NHS, as I kind of believed, whether I was mistaken or not, I kind of believe that was what it was in in Nye Bevan's. I think that was what was in Nye Bevan's head. Then uh, actually, the nature of your response to you know supporting an individual in their sort of journey to recovery and uh, and the prevention of future ill health becomes completely different. And the kind of tools that you might use. And the relationships you would need to develop with other partners become completely different. That was brilliant, Matthew. Back to you. I, think I, I was just inspired by what Warren said. I think that I'm struck on the call that we've got um, four white males of, of privilege, and then when we talk about health, it's about speaking to people with lived experience and understanding what it truly means. And I can only imagine what it's like. And when we talk about like the cost of living crisis and fuel going up, that that's going to have a massive impact on people's health. But for us to try and think about how are we going to solve that as an ICS system, for us without actually knowing what that feels like, it's very different. It's how do we engage with people that is impacting the most to say, right, what support do you need? And try and make sure that we've got that adequate provision rather than thinking about it from our own perspective, thinking about it with people with lived experience and trying to understand well, what would help you to help and how can we help deliver that as a system. That was brilliant. Fantastic. Any final thoughts on any of the questions asked today? No, brilliant. Well, um, that takes us to the end of the podcast. Uh, I just want to take this opportunity to thank you all again for providing such great insights into your ICS. Um, I've personally learned a lot um, and I'm sure that everybody listening will feel the same as well. So thank you very much again.